Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, crushing! Deep left field! This is Welcome Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Hello and welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. I'm Chris Towers here with Scott White. It is July 5th, Tuesday by the time you're listening to this, but by the time we are recording, it's still, I guess, very early on July 4th. So, hey, if anything happens on Monday as far as news goes, we might be a little out of date. Sorry, we're getting a day off. I think we've deserved it. We're going to have Scott back on the show in time for Wednesday's episode. Uh, Frank, actually. Sorry, did I say Scott Frank back on the show in time for Wednesday's episode? See, it is late at night. Yeah, you're already Frank on the back on barbecue. Wednesdays. Yeah, oh, man. You don't even know. Uh, we're going to have Frank back on Wednesday's episode, like I said. But for today, we're answering your questions in a mailbag. Fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. You can leave your reviews at Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts. And we'll answer your questions there as well. And as always, you can hit us up. At FBT Pod on Twitter, I'm at C Tower CBS. He's at CBS Scott White. I think at Roto underscore Frank. If you want to hit Frank up uh, to get your questions answered. But for now, let's start off with a question from Drew. Drew asks, was looking into trading for Altuve to make a run in a keeper league where he can't be kept. Then he looked at his baseball savant page and woof. How do you evaluate established sluggers who may be aging but are still producing even if the advanced metrics don't back it up? Altuve's case, middling power, aging hitter, dead ball. Will Jose Altuve keep this up? I think it's an interesting question because, you know, we've got a couple questions like this. There's one about George Springer as well. Uh, His quality of contact metrics are down pretty much across the board. In addition to Jose Altuve's, Jose, Jose Altuve, has a WOBA of 387, has an expected WOBA of 375. So I do want to say, Drew, you're probably overstating the extent to which Jose Altuve's metrics aren't great because, well, yes, his average exit velocity is in the 7th percentile. His hard hit rate is in the 13th percentile. That's bad. But the thing, Jose Altuve's never hit the ball hard. And right. So I think that's the one thing that you have to keep in mind is player all, all player skill sets are different. And then there are certain things about certain players that for one reason or the other, they are outliers. And I think Jose Altuve, obviously, you know, this yeah. is a guy who is probably a future hall of famer. His career is an outlier being a five foot six future hall of famer, probably an outlier. But in his case, he is someone who maximizes the limited raw power he has by pulling the ball in the air a ton. You look at his home runs. He's got 16 of them. All but four of them have been hit pretty much to the dead pull side. And so, that's the case where we've gone through this with Jose Altuve in the past, where we thought his skill set was declining. It clearly has. He's not, you know, hitting 340 anymore. But I look at Jose Altuve and, and I still think he's a, a high level performer 
at the second base position. What about you? Oh Scott? yeah. I have him as number two at the position rest of season. And yeah, I mean, I understand looking at the stack cast page, seeing some blue sliders and saying woof, but I, I do think one, one of the things I find kind of irksome is, and, and, you know, in a way it's, it's because StatCast is so good, but it, it also encourages this lazy evaluation mm-hmm. method where I, I see it all the time on Twitter that they just, somebody just posts the sliders on the player <laughs> StatCast page and, here you go. That that's that's the player, and obviously there are a lot of there are a lot more factors that go into making players productive or unproductive than just that. If, I think it's most valuable to look at that kind of stuff uh, when you know you're you're talking about players who aren't that established, and mm-hmm. it, it gives you some idea of of what they can do in terms of raw ability. But Jose Altuve, I mean, we've seen this play out for so many. So many times with him already, and he's having another great year. So I, I just wouldn't worry about it with him. Now, on the, the the kind of other side of that would be someone like George Springer, who is very well established. I was really high on George Springer coming into the season. He's been, I think it's fair to say, even by most people's standards, a little bit disappointing, let alone the, the high standards I had for him. Uh, 831 OPS. He's on like a 30 homer pace, but the counting stats haven't been quite as impressive as I hoped they would be. And he's someone who the counting st- the the underlying stats are also not as impressive as they typically are. His expected woba is three forty six. That's the lowest of his career, matching twenty eighteen. And it's even worse than that if you keep in mind that the you know most players are underperforming their, their expected metrics because the ball is not traveling as far. So I, I I do think it's possible to be a little concerned about Springer. Are you concerned at all about George Springer? Mm, not really. I wouldn't say not at all. Uh, but you know, the in in that line, which I still think is a good lineup. I know they don't break particularly high in runs scored, but we've seen Vladimir Guerrero trending the right way. We've seen Lourdes Gurriel trending the right way, and I think pretty soon we're going to see George Springer trending the yeah. right way. And as long as he stays healthy, uh, you know, we I I don't know that he's going to live up to his elite per game production of a year ago. But I mean, what do you have to choose from in the outfield? And I think, I think this, if, if this is the low point for him, what he's done so far, then you don't, you don't really have that much to worry or complain about. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think like, look, he's got eight stolen bases, which is a nice positive that you, that you weren't really counting on either. So, so that's nice. It's, it's kind of like like you said. I think this is probably closer to the low point for George Springer than anything else. I, I, he's got an 831 OPS. I, I think I'd take the over for the rest mm-hmm. of the season. So not particularly concerned about that. And I, I think the thing to keep in mind about the, the StatCast data, and, and this is something that I, I try to remind myself of and try to remind our listeners of regularly, is that it's, it's, it's a snapshot of a moment in time. You know, this is what George Springer has done, you know, in terms of his quality of contact metrics. It's not who he is or who he will be. And so it, it's important to keep in mind that players get hot and players get cold. Like in the in the classic sense of the way we pre saber metrics, the way we talked about it, you know, the this guy's locked in or this guy's just lost out there. Like that does happen. In addition to you know, the, the random fluky events where 
guys just have bad luck and all that stuff where I think we kind of, we kind of think of that more in terms of the, the, the way that players production fluctuates, but it both are true. And so when it comes to guys like George Springer and Jose Altuve, like the stack has stuff matters, but unless it's like a dramatic, dramatic change, I think you have fairly wide error bars. And so, you know, George Springer, like he doesn't look as good as he did last season, but he doesn't look bad. You know, his max exit velo is still 92nd percentile average exit velo right in line with last year. Barrel rates a little lower, but not like not terrible. So I, I think you generally want to give those guys, you know, pretty wide latitude when it comes to that stuff. Um, Next question comes in from purposely anonymous because my league rivals listen to the podcast. This is more of a philosophical question, but when's it time to really go for it in dynasty and Scott, I'll, I'll I'll give this one to you. Although I know it's, you know, when is it time to go for it in dynasty is, is a question that I feel like you may reject the premise of. I Um, do to a degree, you know, here, here we'll go. For example, let's say I have Julio Rodriguez on a pretty cheap contract in a 2014 Dynasty League, $260 budget, Scott White League style. At what point should I accept the God offer for him? I'm talking a top three first baseman, a Hall of Fame starting pitcher still on the IL, so I think we can you know, kind of narrow it down there, uh, and other pieces for Julio and a couple of cheap young pieces. Julio is helping my contender now and will help in the future, but the Godfather offer is always tempting. What no. say you? Let's let's hear no. let's, let's hear about the waves, not windows. <laughs> uh, I don't know that I'm going to use that line this time. We'll see if it comes up. Yeah, Julio Rodriguez. I happen to know how the economy in the Scott White Dynasty League works, and it was set up so that cheap players who are really good are almost invaluable assets because that's how it works in in real life too. That's how I was trying to set it up. The Mariners wouldn't trade Julio Rodriguez for anything in the world and neither should a dynasty team in, in this kind of economy where you have them for, for really cheap because I'm not confident that any hitter you could get for him would be a clear upgrade over the final three months. You know? Yes. I, I wouldn't, there are some hitters I'd rank ahead of him in rest of season rankings, but particularly when you're talking about a 24 team context, what I expect him to do is going to be close enough that you just, you can't give up that long-term asset for a short-term gain when he's also helping you a lot for the short term too. You know, it's just, no, you can't do that with him as to the more general question of when is the time to go for it? I don't know that I ever truly push all my chips in in a dynasty league. Um, and I did win the Scott White Dynasty League three years in a row. So, you know, you, That's you why don't it's necessarily... That's the Scott White Dynasty League. That, <laughs> not because I uh, and made it up or run it or anything, but yes, because I, I won it. They put my name on the... No, that's not really it, but it could be. Um, yeah, so what I try to do in dynasty leagues is... To as much as it's possible, I try to make every move with next year in mind. And the hope is that if I'm making every move with next year in mind, I will build up such a backlog of talent that I can't help but win this year. And it's it, it mostly works out well. You know, there are times when 
there are some leagues, some other dynasty type leagues with slightly different economies where I haven't actually won yet, but I'm very consistently in the playoffs. So, you know, I'm, I am confident that if you're in the playoffs regularly, eventually you're going to break through, but there, you know, you could maybe look back and say, well, maybe you should have made this one deal or that one deal. Uh, so what I would add, I guess, is, you know, you, you have to consider how keepers, how budgets, how salaries work in your own specific setup. And, you know, because there are a lot of limitations built in beyond just, you know, one of the clear limitations in the Skyway Dynasty League is salary. One of the clear limitations is roster size and uh, minor league roster size. And so you make moves that might be win- more win-now moves that might give up a long-term asset for more of a short-term asset. But it's because you're, it's because there's this benefit on the back end too. Like in the case of this league, you're freeing up a minor league spot for a high minor league draft pick earlier that you otherwise wouldn't get to use. You're giving up a pretty good prospect but you're getting something you're still getting a long-term asset out of that and you're helping your team win now. So you just, you know, I, it, I don't know your specific league setup or the general person listening out there, their specific league setup, but you kind of have to just really know the rules and how to work them. And then you can make short-term trades uh, in a way that still benefits you in the long run. And I think one of the, you know, another way to put it is like, it doesn't matter how good your team is you're never guaranteed a title. And so like trading Julio Rodriguez for let's call it Freddie Freeman and Max Scherzer for the rest of the season. That makes your team better. I think it's unquestionable. I think I would have Freddie Freeman ranked higher in a points league. I would have Max Scherzer ranked higher in a points league. I think those two guys are going to outscore Julio Rodriguez. And if that was the deal, like you would feel really good about your chances of having a better team. But once you get into the playoffs, I mean, it's it's a cliche, but anything can happen. And, and I think back to um, one of my, my fantasy football league with my friends from college. I won for the first time this year. We were like 14 years in. And uh, I went undefeated. It's like my most impressive championship ever. I went 17-0. and uh, My team was so good that there was a point during the, the season where in our Slack channel that we have for our league – someone said that my team was so good that it made them lose interest in the league this year. (laughs) And even with that, I had a playoff game this year. Uh, I think it was the first round of the playoffs. We don't do a bye. And I think I won by like the equivalent of like 17 yards over the course of the full week. Squeaker. And it's as simple as like if one guy catches one fewer pass on my team, I lose. And that was unquestionably the most dominant fantasy football team I've ever put together. Now, obviously, fantasy football and fantasy baseball aren't the same, but once you get into the playoffs, that's similar. So you're you're always talking about like you're improving your chances of winning incrementally, but it's never going to be 51%. I mean, like it's really hard to get to the point where even like right now, if you could say that you have a 25% chance of winning your league, that means your team is really, really outrageously dominant. So there's just, you have to balance that. I, I tend to be a little more aggressive when it comes to going all in than Scott does, just because, um, you know, flags fly forever and you don't know 
you know, you may not be here tomorrow, all that stuff, but you also <laughs> have to find the right balance between the two of those. Um, yeah. I just, I don't move like on to Mark's stretches. That's a big part of it. Like that's I, fair. Like you a, can all, see the thing uh, is you can always quit a league. Oh, come on. That's certainly not the spirit <laughs> of the dynasty league walking away. I, uh, I could I could throw some dirt at a very famous baseball writer who basically pushed in all his chips one year, won the league, and then quit the league. But I won't do that. I won't Fantastic. name him. He's very famous, though. <laughs> all right, we'll move on to Mark's question. With the trade deadline coming up, do we know of any closers who are expected to be traded away within the next month? Are there any RPs who may take over the closers role on the teams who are selling by the trade deadline? I think... Uh, um, Oh, I was going to let you say what you're about to say, but okay. So, I mean, obviously, um, man, who's a good example? I, I always have a hard time with these off the. So, top I of think my like, head. I think you always look at the bottom of the 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 standings, and so the, right. the teams that stand out at the bottom of the standings are with like established closers would be like Jorge Lopez, perhaps. You know, I don't yes. think he's someone who would get traded and be a closer somewhere. Well, that's and Baltimore the thing. actually has a pretty good back end of the bullpen right now. I don't know if they've gotten the credit they deserve, but Felix Bautista especially has been mm-hmm. tremendous. Uh, and so is Dylan Tate. So I think Felix, Felix Bautista is someone who, if Lopez got traded, Felix Bautista could potentially be a very good closer. Uh, Washington's That's another team where, like Tanner Rainey's cheap, and I mean, he's 29, so he's not exactly young, but... The problem there is I don't know, like maybe Paolo Espino, but he seems just as likely to get traded as as anyone else. So I'm not sure who the next person would be there. That's probably like Baltimore is a situation. They're actually competitive and feisty enough that if Jorge Lopez got traded, I think Felix Bautista would actually be a pretty good closer. Washington is probably one that if Tanner Rainey got traded, I don't think anyone would really matter unless someone just really surprised us. I mean, David Robertson could get traded for the Cubs. That seems like a pretty easy one. Uh, would yeah. it be to close for somebody else? Probably not. But I, I mean, part of the part of the issue with answering this question is I'm just not sure with the way bullpens are managed these days. I'm just not sure it's it's worth the squeeze. You know, yeah. like if I'm looking for perspective saves, I'm almost. I'm almost counting on an injury. Like I'm almost looking at a bullpen with a clear pecking order, picking up the second guy and then just, I mean, hoping for an injury sounds ghoulish, but I mean, that's kind of what you're doing. Um, Like for example, Rafael Montero with the Astros, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think everybody questions uh, the health of their closer right now. And and Montero has proven to be the backup option there. Uh, So, you know, somebody like that, but it is, it is something that got a lot of attention in the fantasy in the past. I, I just don't know that it's that way anymore. I do think the example from Baltimore is good. Felix Bautista, because he's, he's shown such exemplary stuff, but you know, let's say, I don't know, let's say the angels were to trade Rysel Iglesias. Do you think it would go to one guy? Do you think it'd go to Ryan Tapera? Or do you think they'd mix and match? Most of the time, I I think these non-contending teams would mix and match. Yeah. And and that's another one where Ryan Tapera is 34. It's just as likely he gets traded traded. as Russell Iglesias, if not more. And so I I think 
I think generally speaking, it kind of points to something that I, I, I come to realize is that I just, I don't think there's much value in like speculating on saves outside of like good teams. Like I think Cincinnati is a perfect example. The past two seasons, there's been opportunity there. And how many people have wasted roster spots to get nothing out of six different guys in Cincinnati's bullpen over the past year and a half. So I just, I don't know. It's speculating on saves. Like it's hard enough to project how many saves a guy's going to get when we know they're the guy. But when you're talking about like things that have to happen, you're not just talking about a guy has to get hurt or a guy has to get traded. And then the guy that you're speculating on has to be picked. It's just, it's, it's really, I don't know if it's worth the, the time. Let's do a, a quick team name Tuesday. Uh, we'll take a quick break after that. We got a couple of them here. Polar Bear Express from Joel, uh, you know, because of Pete Alonzo, the, the polar bear, right? Okay. Uh, sure. And uh, in, in honor of top pick, uh, past top pick Mickey Moniak getting called up, Mo Moniak, Mo Problems. I feel like that's a Heath Cummings one. Uh, that one's from Michael. It, it makes more sense than Heath Cummings' take on that one, but that's fine. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. <laughs> All right, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with more of the Fantasy Baseball Today mailbag right here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, moving on. Benjamin from Hamburg, Germany, plays in a 30-team deep head-to-head points dynasty league with daily lineups and eight keepers. Holds plus saves. Total salary, he's using real-life salaries, $144 million per team, and they use real-life contracts on SpotTrack.com. Really wants more Blue Jays on his team because he's a Blue Jays fan. He has Cedric Mullins and Zach Wheeler on his team, and he wants to trade them for Alec Manoa and George Springer. Do you think this is a fair offer for the other owner? Uh, salaries add up almost equally. And according to most trade value treats, the deal seems fair. So that would be Cedric Mullins and Zach Wheeler for Alec Manoa and George Springer. How do you feel about that one? I think in a dynasty league, particularly a 30 team dynasty league uh, and, uh, and, and seeing how the salaries work, they're based on real life salaries. Like, I, I don't think, I don't think the other guy's given up Manoa, you know, um, even if the salaries cancel out because you're, he's losing a lot of salary with Springer, I just think Springer, if he was looking to shed that Springer salary, there are straightforward ways to do it that wouldn't cost him Manoa. So, you know, in a redraft sense, Mullins and Wheeler for Manoa and Springer sounds very fair. But in a dynasty context, I, I just see Manoa as one of those untouchable types, particularly in one this deep. I mean, the way Manoa's pitched this season, he's actually he looks a lot like Zach Wheeler. I mean, doesn't have the elite strikeout upside of a lot of ace pitchers, but pitching like an ace, going consistently deep into games, pitching about as well as you can uh, for someone who doesn't get, you know, 11K per nine or whatever it is. So, um, uh, yeah, I think you'd just win this trade, even if the the salaries weren't fair or weren't even. So, yeah. Um, 
Moving on, Steven writes in, what's up with Edward Cabrera? Seems like he should have been backed by now. I have him stashed on the IL. Uh, keep him. Keep him, question mark? <laughs> have another related question. I'm wondering when you think Max Meyer gets the call. More importantly, what are your realistic expectations for him once he does? Can you throw out a few comps for him? Both A, rest of season, and B, over the next two to three years. So why don't you handle the Max Meyer part of that? Because I want to find a tweet about... Edward Cabrera that I thought was really interesting that we haven't talked about yet. Okay. Yeah. So Max Meyer is, I think clearly a top five pitching prospect. And you know, if, if, if a pitcher only needed two pitches, his fastball and slider, both are among the highest, the most highly evaluated in all the minors, the most highly rated, and then he started to introduce this changeup to his arsenal this year. The Marlins are the best organization at developing a changeup, so it makes sense that he would add that third pitch, and it really opens up a lot of upside, I think, for Max Meyer. So, you know, in terms of comps, I, I'd i be afraid of aiming too low, frankly. I mean, obviously, nobody is guaranteed success, uh, but I, I think Max Meyer could emerge as a as a true ace, potentially. And I've added them to my top five prospects to stash right now. So I, I expect the promotion to come sooner than later. You know, the, the Marlins rotation has been hit hard by injuries. They have a couple scrubs in there right now. They could use Max Meyer. Mm-hmm. And he's off to a good start since returning from injury. So, yeah, I would say uh, at some point in July, I would expect to see Meyer. Yeah, Myers made three starts since coming back from injury. Nine strikeouts, sorry, uh, 13 strikeouts, one walk in 10 and two-thirds innings. Uh, recently got up to 70 pitches in his most recent outing. And tweet I was looking for was from Craig Mish, who uh, covers the Marlins for Sports Grid. And I think he's one of the better folks out there in terms of he's got a fantasy focus in a lot of what he does as well. So that really helps. And he he... Tweeted this. Someone asked him about any word on Edward Cabrera. No, he dealt with personal issues last week, but haven't heard anything as far as him making another start or rejoining the club. Craig Mesh said this. Sorry, Dusty. This is one of those really unclear situations where the public comments don't necessarily match the private. I'd be hesitant to comment further. I don't see an imminent, imminent return. So that's about Edward Cabrera, who showed some real upside. Uh, in a couple of starts with the Marlins, you know, had that great start at Coors Field where he, you know, had a ton of strikeouts and swings and misses, but doesn't sound like the Marlins are expecting him. Um, so that was something that I saw a couple of days ago that, that really stood out. So I wanted to throw that in there. Um, Helps Myers make chances Max too. Myers chances. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that gets back to Steve's question uh, worth stashing Edward Cabrera, or would you pick up Luis Patino, who recently started a minor league rehab assignment coming back from injury. Well, I mean, there's upside there for both. It, it sounds like Patino is going to be back soon. So if it was between those two, he's the one I'd lean toward. I want to say I'm eager to pick up either one in a standard size league. Uh, I mean, we haven't seen a ton of success from either. We've seen flashes from both at the major league level, but it's been a struggle for the most part so far. So they're not high priorities for me, but if, if you've narrowed those t- down as the best two options in your league, then I, I would lean Patino. All right, here's uh, this is more from the same emailer, Steven. Is this a stupid or a brilliant trade? Ronald Acuna and Robbie Ray for Shohei Otani 
in a daily lineup league. Okay. Stupid or brilliant? Uh, I don't know that it's... I don't know that it's either stupid or brilliant. I think in a daily lineup league, now that he's having a very strong follow-up to his MVP season, maybe it'll end up being a second MVP season. Uh, Otani is clearly the number one player in those daily lineup leagues where you get all all of his pitching stats and almost all of his hitting stats. You just lose the ones on the days he's pitching. Yeah. So Acuna is is a clear first-rounder himself, of course. Robbie Ray, you know, a top-five rounder, certainly. I, I don't think I'd do it because... You know, obviously that big workload for Otani. Uh, is it just for this year? This isn't a dynasty yeah, context. Just for this, just year. for this year. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think I'd do it. I don't think it'd be worth freeing up a roster spot by shedding both of those guys who uh, I would expect to be better than whichever version of Otani you're getting on that particular day, the pitcher or the hitter. What do you say? I would say this. It is a higher upside and lower floor move. Because if Shohei Otani stays healthy and plays like he can, I think Shohei Otani plus whatever you use that extra roster spot on is probably going to give you more value than Ronald Acuna and Robbie Ray. But you're introducing a ton of risk into your team because if Shohei Otani goes down, you lose two players, essentially. Yep. And so you're giving it's you know, you're giving up Ronald Acuna and Robbie Ray to get that. And I, I think that's I think it's fair. I think it's reasonable. But it, it just depends on your willingness to take risk. All right. One I, I don't part. I don't think the upside is worth the downside personally, because they're both the good players you're giving up are both yeah. so good. Yeah. But that's that's me. The the upside is pretty significant for Ronald Acuna and, and Robbie Ray as well. Right. All right. Last Steven asked a ton of questions. We'll just get one more in here. Finally, one under-the-radar breakout pitcher and hitter for the rest of the season. Ooh. Under-the-radar breakout pitchers or hitters. Ah, uh, man. I've got one for hitter. Okay. Uh, and he's, at this point, very under-the-radar. But Ramon Laureano is someone that I think could be in line for a very big rest of season. He's already started to turn it around a bit late of late, but... You know, remember last season he was starting to steal some more bases. You go, the last two seasons combined, he's played 137 games. He's hit 244 with 18 homers and 19 stolen bases. But he's done that in Oakland. And I think he has a pretty good chance of being traded this year. And I think Oakland is one of the worst places for hitters to to play. So I think Ramon Laureano is someone, you know, coming back from that suspension, it's not terribly surprising he's gotten off to a mediocre start. But He's someone I think could have a, a big kick to close out the second half. And then um, I don't know if Shane Boz counts for this question, but I don't know if like the perception of him matches how good I think he might actually be rest of the season because I think he might just be like a top 24 guy the rest of the way. I've got him like 36, um, but with no concerns really about his innings being limited beyond just like being on the Rays and not being allowed to go deep as deep into games as he might otherwise be. Um, I think Shane Boz might just be like one of the best pitchers in the American league already. He's, he's been st- tremendous. 
So I don't know how under the radar either of these players is. I mean, obviously, that's not a precise term. They're both available in more than 30% of CBS Sports Leagues. And they're, they both have been, haven't done enough good things. Like the people who have them right now are probably close to dropping them. So they're under the radar in that sense. So the pitcher is Aaron Ashby. I mean, it's going to be guys I've talked about a lot because obviously I, I think highly of them. And so that would lead me to talk about them a lot. Aaron Ashby, who came off the IL from that forearm injury this week and had a bad start against the Pirates. There have been a lot of bad starts with some flashes of brilliance too. But I just I think the stuff is so good, the amount of swings and misses he gets with it. The ground ball rate is is superlative it's it's up there with Framber Valdez and and like that is a rare combination of the outlier swing and miss skills the outlier ground ball skills if he's healthy if this forearm issue isn't something that lingers and is going to impact his production uh I think Aaron Ashby could be huge and there's if somebody dropped him I'd scoop him up right away in my leagues and then the other is Alex Kirilov I still have a ton of faith in Kirilov he he was he was putting up monster numbers at AAA prior to his promotion, which leads me to believe he's learned how to manage the pain in that wrist in a way that we weren't seeing when he was up at the start of the year. Uh, and then obviously most of his rookie season, he was playing through the injury. Since coming back, he hasn't been super productive, but since coming back from the minors, Alex Kirilov's average exit velocity is 92.8 miles per hour. Like The skills are definitely there for him to be an impact hitter. And I remain hopeful he's going to be just that. All right. Uh, Jason from a city that has the new Twin Towers. I'm going to assume that's Minneapolis. Uh, with the, the Rudy Gobert trade, Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns. I'm going to assume that's what that's okay. referring to, but I don't really know. Could just be the twin part of it that's that's throwing me off. Um he writes in, hello, Joe, Sarah, Sue, and Mike. I have no idea. I thought it might have been Stranger Things, but I think Mike is actually the only one of those names that's in Stranger Things, so I don't think that's it. So I have no Joe, idea. Joe, Sarah, hmm. I, yeah, don't know. I don't know. Did you try Googling All it? Right. I did, and it didn't, it didn't work. It worked. I, tried, okay. I did I mean, try to kind of common names. Exactly. Um, yeah. So he writes in, this is an interesting... Tw- 12-team, 5-by-5 categories, trade, get Brandon Woodruff, give up Luis Severino, Michael Kopech, Anthony Santander, and Jerickson Profar. So how do you feel about the uh, the 4-for-1 deal here? Hmm. It's a lot. It's a lot you're giving up. I, I mean, the fact you're giving up... Okay, it's not a lot. I overstated it. <laughs> but the fact you're giving up Severino plus... I don't think it's a slam dunk. Severino is is lesser than than Woodruff. I have them about on the same level. I, I was encouraged by Woodruff's strong follow up over the weekend to his first start back. You know, the mm-hmm. first start back he was juiced up. Well, he wasn't juiced up. That means something else. He was jazzed up. Let's <laughs> say he was pumped. He was amped. He was psyched to be back on the mound, and his fastball was uh, as hard as we've ever seen him throw it up two miles per hour from normal in that first start. So you could understand him him being dominant then. But it was back to more normal Woodruff levels in a second start, and he still got a lot of strikeouts, missed a lot of bats. I feel pretty good about where he is health-wise and upside-wise and all of that. But Severino's been awesome. And uh, certainly we considered him a, a 
an ace, a fantasy ace, back before he had his arm troubles. Uh, having said that, who are you actually going to miss of those other players in a 12-team league? Kopech, probably. Santander, Profar. Mm, I mean, yeah. Profar's better in a points league. This is a categories league. So, you know, Santander's pretty fringy. Profar, I don't have a lot of confidence in him. Like, I'm okay with it. I, I think it's a C, verging on C minus. But, you know, if, if you just like Woodruff that much more than Severino, then I, I'm fine with it. You know what the differentiation might be for me? What? If it's a head-to-head categories league with head-to-head point-style rosters, or if it's a roto-style rosters. Yeah. Because the deeper rosters, you're going to miss the Santander and Profar part more. But if you're talking about just five starting pitchers, two relief pitchers, and nine hitters, I think I just go, you know, I think it's close, but I might just prefer the Woodruff side. So I think that's what it comes down to because two of those four guys I think are just waiver wire fodder in that, you know, nine starting hitters uh, mm-hmm. scenario. So, oh, I mean, I think Santander is any, anyway, but yeah. Yeah. All yeah, right, let's sense. move on to the uh, final uh, part of the mailbag. Michael writes in, first part of the question, I made the mistake of drafting Zunino. I got Melendez pretty early. He started great, but it's been painful lately, especially for batting average his eyes woba xba x slug barrels are all kind of average cabert ruiz and william Contreras are options going through the rankings looks like scott and frank have mj melendez ahead of cabert ruiz whose power numbers are worse uh but chris has ruiz just ahead advice rest of season how do you view cabert ruiz versus mj melendez i like mj melendez more just like my rankings say the one possible exception and i don't think does he give his scoring format here? I don't think so. In a points league, the fact Keeper Ruiz almost no. never strikes out uh, elevates him. You know, I, I still doubt he's going to have a lot of like 20 point weeks for you, but it'll be a consistent, you know, a, a consistent enough point total that he won't hurt you at catcher in a points league so much. But I'd still rather shoot for the upside with MJ Melendez. The plate discipline numbers remain strong. Uh, the exit velocities remain strong enough that I, I don't think that's going to be a hindrance for him. And I, you know, he's been cold lately, but he's got a, he's got a free run of it now with Salvador Perez out for the long haul. The one thing I will say about Ruiz is the expected stats suggest that he should be hitting for much more batting average and actually a little more pop as well. Um, He's only hitting 254 with that 9.8% strikeout rate. You know, that that seems especially low. And, look, he does have a 34% line drive rate. And he hits the ball, you know, in the air enough that, like, he doesn't, he, he hits the ball in the air on, on a line, not, you know, fly balls in a way that suggests that he should be a better power or better batting average hitter than he has been. It's complicated by, one, the fact that he's a left-handed hitter and the fact that he's very, very slow, 10th percentile on sprint speed. So you would think that there's – and he pulls the ball, so you would think there's a pretty good chance that he's getting shifted out of a lot of hits, although he's actually got a 445 Woba when he's being shifted versus a 239 Woba when he's not being shifted. So Hmm. I don't know what to make of that, but I do think Caber Ruiz is someone who probably has better days ahead of him. 
even if I don't think he's necessarily a superstar. Whereas I do think Melendez probably has star potential with his power. Um, all right, and last question. Also drafted Brandon Lau. Uh, I've used Nolan Gorman and Andres Jimenez to fill in. I'm happy with Andres lately. Tom 10 percentile in XBA and XWOBA. Uh, Gorman seems unlucky. His barrel rate, launch angles, X slug, fly ball versus line drive, all that stuff. Big numbers. Luis Garcia is also out there. Or if I go outside second base for a power bat, he's got Vinny Pasquantino and Alex Kirloff. So would you stick with Nolan Gorman or would you try for Luis Garcia, Vinny Pasquantino, or Alex Kirloff? How do you rank? So let's just rank Pasquantino, Kirloff, Luis Garcia, and Nolan Gorman rest of season. Well, I, I think the scoring format makes a big difference because I, I feel much better about Gorman in a categories league, traditional five by five categories league than I do about him in a points league where those strikeouts are going to keep him down. And so between him and Vinny Pasquantino, it's probably it's probably format dependent for me. I'd go Gorman over Pasquantino in categories, Pasquantino over Gorman in points. And then rounding out that list. Uh, I prefer the upside of Kirilov to the upside of Luis Garcia, but this is this is one of those questions where it's like I think they're all good, you know. Like I'm I'm yeah. I'm ranking Garcia last here, but that that says more about the players I'm ranking ahead of them than it does about Garcia himself. I think that's fair. I, I think I would probably go with Garcia over Kirilov, and maybe that's just me being a little gun-shy with Kirilov because we've seen him struggle at the major league level. But, yeah, I agree. I think all these guys, they're all certainly within my top 200 at this point overall, and um, you know they're all, all guys that I think should be rostered in, in nearly all formats. So uh, that's Nolan Gorman, Luis, Pas- Luis Garcia, Vinny Pasquantino, and Alec Kirilov. We like all four of their potentials quite a bit and that's going to do it for the july 4th slash 5th mailbag on fantasy baseball today scott uh scott will be back along with myself and frank stample on wednesday's episode of fbt so we'll look for you there uh thanks for listening we'll see you later bye